2: Welcome to Futureproof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company.
0: I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. is about the impact of COVID-19 on media and advertising. And I'm joined by three Kantar specialists and executives who can discuss this with with all of us. Jane Osler, the Global Head of Media at Kantar's Insights Division, Andy Brown, the Chairman and CEO of Kantar's Media Division, and Darren Poole, the Global Head of Creative at Kantar's Insights Division. So thanks uh, all of you for, for joining. I want to kick it off with a pretty broad question, I guess, for you, Jane. Should you be advertising right now?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think the answer to that is probably yes. You may know that we've done some analysis. Uh, We actually did some analysis after the last recession in 2008, which talked about what happens to brand health measures if you stop advertising on TV. And we found that the net effects after six months of not advertising, were very drastic in negative terms on, on brand health measures. So, you know, we find that actually if brands do go dark or do go silent, that actually doesn't help their, obviously their short term, but it also doesn't help their long term potential. Obviously, it depends what category they're in, and I'm sure we'll go on to discuss that. But the other thing we've also done is we've actually done a real simulation. We've looked at a real brand, and what happens if they decrease their ad spend by 50%, if they cut it all together, or if they stay the same. And even cutting your ad spend by about 50% doesn't yield that bad a result. So we understand that every brand will be in a different situation, of course, but cutting your ad spend altogether is almost definitely not a good idea in any category.
0: Right. So I guess you're saying you know, going going to zero is probably not advisable but tough times can call for more drastic measures so so cuts are you know perhaps not going to be disastrous it's I guess the devil's in the details though so can you tell us a little bit more about that that simulation that you just mentioned?
3: Yeah and it actually kind of works for almost any category so what we've done is we've actually modelled or simulated three different spend scenarios out to March 2021 for various different brands Um, and we modeled awareness index data against media pressure and then validated that against the sales and we're actually now for clients modeling this kind of scenario plans for various different brands um, because um, it seems to be something that brands are quite interested in doing the impact though is very interesting so a brand that goes totally dark um, this is a particular brand in the European market could lose 13% of its sales and market share that's very hard to recover. But if the brand cuts just 50%, there's a 1% drop in market share, so it's, it's much less bad. The other thing to remember is that obviously your competitors aren't all staying at the same level of spend necessarily. Some of them will probably reduce their spend as well. So it's something to bear in mind that even if you reduce your spend slightly or keep it the same, your actual effective share of voice is going to increase. So you're in a good position. But as I say, it does depend on the category and what you're advertising.
0: And I guess it's not only the, the competitor spend that's changing, it's, it's consumers' media habits. So maybe we can go to you now, Andy, to, to tell us a little bit about what's happening with respect to, to media consumption in these uncertain times.
1: Sure. I mean, one of the, the key things that we've seen, obviously, with people locked down is, is direct impacts on in-home consumption of media. So the, the business that probably has been most impacted by that is is related to video. We've seen audiences growing In some cases, on average, between 20 and 25% for television audiences around the world. That is not just around live content, but that's also even more extreme when you look at uh, video on demand content, uh, or VOD. There's a lot been written in the media about consumption around Netflix. Netflix has done very well in the markets where we're able to measure Netflix. They've seen something like 30% increase in people watching Netflix. But equally, it's been a really good success story for Broadcaster VOD. By Broadcaster VOD, I guess I mean those player services that are owned by the traditional broadcasters. So a good example would be an ITV.com or an iPlayer, where again, we've seen sort of equivalent, if not higher levels of uptake of video on demand. So video performing extremely well, particularly in, in home consumption. If we look Beyond video, and we, you know, we look at things like print media. Mixed story for print media depends really whether you are a subscription service. Just depends whether you are a digital service where you might see your audience consumption increasing or at least holding up. The challenge clearly is around newsstand media because people are inside. So the extent to which you rely on newsstand for your income, either from cover income or your readership clearly you're going to be impacted by that and the other i guess most challenged channel in this context is outdoor again if people are staying in home with the exception of their their exercise period exposure to outdoor particularly sites that are driven by heavy traffic where traffic is significantly down you know clearly audiences to outdoor are going to be uh, significantly lower than they normally during that period
3: the other one we noticed Andy on um, which actually came it was almost the earliest signal of of various changes actually was um, on some media plans that we were uh, measuring the effectiveness of was um, cinema because where films were being released in a different schedule or their release was postponed they were immediately taken off the plans and then all the cinemas shut down so I think that's the one that's been hit very hard as well
0: that makes sense. makes complete sense, Jane. I'm thinking about the, the media channels where I guess consumption is up. So the, the, the ones that Andy you were talking about, which I guess are not, not a massive surprise, the, the sort of in-home involved and so on. But I want to go to Darren to think about, though, a little bit more in, in terms of what sort of creative would work. Because my assumption is that you know, the, the consumer's mindset is also in a state of flux at the moment it's sort of unusual and weird for us to, to be living our lives as we are right now. So how does that affect the way that advertisers might communicate, even though there might be more, you know, eyeballs in a given media channel? How do we tell a
2: message? It's, it's a really good question. And it's one that lots of our clients have been asking us. I mean, I, I guess the start point is, you know, there are all of these eyeballs um, that are waiting to see this content. And, We've done a couple of surveys now and we've got the Cantar barometer looking at attitudes around the world. And what it says is that even though people are really concerned about the virus, they're concerned about um, what it means for them financially, they don't actually want brands to stop advertising. Only 8% of people uh, globally are saying that they'd like brands to stop advertising. Uh, and in another study, only about one in five said it's only appropriate for some brands to be advertising at the moment. So they're saying, you know, I don't necessarily want to see advertising from travel and tourism brands, for example, but there are some really good examples out there. So largely what we're saying is it's good for everybody to be advertising. Uh, and in terms of in terms of the content, I, I'm, I'm really encouraging a lot of our clients to assume business as usual. So You know, if I can just give a few pointers, you know, one of them might be you don't have to reference coronavirus directly, but neither must you exploit it. Clearly, there is quite a lot of COVID-19 specific content out there at the moment. And, you know, there's a little bit of a risk that it becomes a sea of sameness. So you you do need to remain distinctive if you are talking about about coronavirus. We've also seen from, from, from some testing that we've done, you know, there's no need to be obsessive about social distancing. You know, we had some clients saying to us, oh, I can't show the ad where I've got people touching or you know, where we've got people going out together. And our view, backed up by consumers, is that people don't mind. The content that they're watching, that the advertising is is shown in, still has regular TV programming with people interacting with, it, with each other. And then, uh, you know, a third really tactical point is, you know, there's no need to avoid humour. So forty percent of people um, globally are saying you know, this isn't a time for humour. You know, flip that on its head. It means that sixty percent of people say that humour is appropriate. But what people are telling us is that right now advertising is actually providing a little bit of a bit of release. It's um, it's normality. It's it's escape from you know, the news cycle, which is really quite gloomy. So humour with care is okay, but I don't think we should be um, we should be joking about coronavirus. And then the final thing I would say um, is you know, just to get the balance right between functional product messaging. Um, so we've seen some categories like household cleaners where you know, it's really, really appropriate to be talking about product functionality right now. But otherwise, yeah, be, be a friend. You know, people have talked about brands needing to act more like humans. And you know, you will remember if a brand was there for you through this. Just end of end of the, the first week of April, I read an article in Marketing Week talking about bird's eye in the UK who who are saying, you know, we don't want people to go out there and buy our chicken dippers or our waffles, but we do want to say, You're there for each other, we're here for you.
0: You you hit the nail on the head in terms of talking about in some sense sort of a comforting role of brands and, and advertising in particular. I mean who, who, who knew that we thought that maybe there's a, a soothing aspect that reminds us of, of more normal times? What would consumers not want? Maybe to just push on, on the point a little bit more about that sort of you saying, you know, advertisers, you know, or brands want to indicate, you know, look, look, you know, don't necessarily go and buy all of our stuff if you don't need it. But, you know, we're here for you. Isn't there a risk that?
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: You know, if everyone's saying that, again, it, it, it makes things less distinctive and a little bit you know, generic or maybe even insincere. I mean, if I think back to sort of the earlier days of the crisis developing, I remember getting a lot of emails from brands I'd maybe bought something from once before saying that, you know, they're here for me and, and whatever else, which I sort of raised an eyebrow over. So, so how are brands going to get that right? Is there any guidance on that?
2: I think there is. And I think the absolute key word here is about authenticity. So you've got to act as you would always act as a brand. We conducted some work in in Germany two weeks ago, looking at how some COVID-19 specific advertising was received. And it was those brands that had stronger perceived um, corporate social responsibility whose COVID-19 messaging was best received. So if if a brand suddenly changes its tone of voice, suddenly changes the the person that it is, its personality, consumers are going to find it harder to deal with that. And I think the other thing to say is, you know, sometimes some of the best response we've seen around COVID-19 isn't so much about the, the messaging itself. But it's about the action that lies beneath that. So a number of brands are acting first and then communicating about it afterwards. You know, LVMH and its hand sanitizer is is one of the more famous ones. But yeah, sometimes it it sounds like a cliche, but actions do speak louder than words. Is
3: there another um, aspect to this though, which I think is um, quite interesting about the? Because obviously we're all re- recording this from home, but. All the media agencies, or mostly media agencies, um, many publishers and media owners and creative agencies are all working from home as well. So presumably they're all facing some challenges. I mean, I guess, Andy, the media owners have actually stood up to it really well because there is some amazing content being produced at the moment, which is highly appropriate. And they've adapted in a hugely kind of agile way.
1: Yeah, and I think you've seen, you've seen some uh, adaptation in terms of distribution and leveraging back catalogs of content and making that available in new ways. And I mean, one of the interesting things has been, not surprisingly, the consumption of news content, which is now, you know, extremely high relative to, to where it's... Uh, and I think that creates, that creates opportunities and it creates challenges. We've seen examples of advertisers wanting to avoid placement next to COVID-19 news stories. And, you know, I, I, I'm not the expert on this and, and I bow to, you know, yours and, and Darren's perspective on whether that's the right thing to do. What I would observe is that, you know, it can be quite challenging, particularly for, for news media, particularly for print news media. So, you know, you've got potentially reduced ad budgets in spite of, you know, what what you were saying about the importance of maintaining presence you've got less cover price revenue and then within a publication people not wanting to necessarily place ads next to covid stories and if you want to be in the front half of, of any newspaper right now you're pretty much going to have to be next to, to a covid related story in some way or other so I, I think it's time for advertisers to be a little bit brave on that thing because clearly yeah, you know, if you want to maintain good journalism in all of this, so where does this all of this content come from? Yeah, you know, if you want good journalism, you, you ultimately we know that you have to pay for that, and I guess that's a little. I'm a little concerned as a consumer around that uh, that 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 might be jeopardized.
2: I think you both raise really good points there, and what what strikes me to your point, Andy, is you know the old saying that advertising thrives in challenge if i think back to many of the advertising effectiveness awards that i've looked at through the years very often it's those brands that have the biggest challenges facing them that that perform the most strongly i actually think that what some of the creative agencies are doing today is absolutely fabulous and you know it, it will make their clients really really challenge them in the future so I have seen quite a lot of old content reused. And again, the the ad testing that we've done in Kantar shows us that something that worked three months ago still works today with consumers. Yes, coronavirus has changed the world, but it hasn't changed the response to that old advertising. Um, And I've seen really, really good work done with stock footage as well. One of my favorite ads is one that appeared on Facebook for Skyscanner you know the the, the travel firm um, and it's all talking about what we will do in the future created I think entirely using stock video uh, and it ends up being you know really really uplifting uh, and not tending towards and and Andrew alluded to this earlier you know, it doesn't tend towards advertising you know, making people feel even more unhappy than they already are about the the coronavirus situation the the other thing
0: I'd add about uh, Andy's point about uh, in, in the context you're talking about, in print with adjacency to, to COVID content. You know, at Oxford, we've been for the last almost year doing work around sort of adjacency with, with sort of brand safety, albeit in digital, not not in print, and, and obviously not with COVID-related stories. We've been looking at it with sort of more other other examples of toxic content, essentially, and doing this with the Mobile Marketing Association. But what we've been finding there is, you know, brands can take a hit to things like favorability and purchase intent. They're adjacent to, let's call it bad content or, or sort of unpleasant content, but not if the not if the brand is strong and if it's a trustworthy brand in particular. And so I think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier in, is if the brand has some strength to it, if there's authenticity in the communication and sort of I'd, I'd add to that a sincerity in, in how the communication is running, I don't necessarily believe based on our research that it's going to harm the brand by being, you know, in the front half of the newspaper or whatever else around the the doom and gloom of COVID-19 because that's the reality we're in so in some sense it's it's realistic and authentic too to to be adjacent to that type of content it's not not trying to avoid it but but you know our research is sort of pointing in that direction actually we've got some some studies in the field at the moment to look at this question specifically in the case of COVID-19 so we'll we'll have more to say uh, in a couple of weeks on that.
3: There's another thing I've observed actually which is I think um, we're I don't know whether this will be long lasting or not but the way we seem to be far more forgiving on production values perhaps being lower than than we used to so specifically on tv and uh, video content you know now it's entirely normal to watch television particularly where it's kind of live or, or fresh content which is you know from people's homes people being interviewed on teams or zoom or skype or whatever and i think you know i've seen some ads as well which have been Filmed from home, um, there are a few examples of that too. So I just wonder whether this will last. Do you think that broadcasters will go back to sort of very high polished production values, or do you think that there'll be a long lasting impact of this?
2: I, I think that's another good question, Jane. And I suspect that once this is is forgotten, our clients will be demanding the same sort of production values and and better than than they have today. But I think in many parts of our lives, we are going to change our standards. I already talked about stock footage. I talked about reusing old content. One of the other tactics I've seen used is consumer-generated content. And I think in many ways, this crisis is putting consumers into the forefront. And We might see more CGR, consumer-generated content, going forwards too.
3: Yeah, and I think this is where TikTok and um, platforms like that um, snap as well have kind of come into their own because there's a sort of particular I mean I know I always talk about this but I do think there's a TikTok does lend itself to creation of content in a kind of closed environment and there's so many creative examples of what consumers have been doing at home thinking, dancing that and i've noticed you know obviously there is there are advertisers on tiktok as well who are um comfortable advertising in those environments so i do think that you know user consumer generated content um is something that we should the industry should definitely keep an eye on
2: i agree been listening to future proof for all episodes and more information visit kantar.com or oxford future of marketing.com please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released thank
3: you